I'm going to take a little bit of a breaky-breaky from 2 Peter. Uh, 2 Peter, especially the second and some of the third chapter, is pretty heavy. Um, It is my experience uh, that most people can only take so much warning. Silly as that is, right? Because if this is a legitimate warning, you ought to heed it. Yes? Now, you might argue, well, Kenny, you don't always give us legitimate warnings. You win the argument. But when Peter, when the Word of God gives us warnings, they're always legitimate. And so that is where I'm coming from. But nevertheless, I want to give you a break. But I want to also show you that although Peter spends a whole chapter and then some on the warnings, specifically concerning false teachers, that's not the only warnings he gives us. He gives us also warnings for the end times. And so I'm going to go to 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, trying to do it in its entirety. Oh, Joe is betting against it already. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to try because I'm going to move over stuff fairly quickly and then just sort of concentrate on a few places there. Uh, but I want you to know that Paul also warns us a significant portion of the Scriptures, our warnings. James warns us. Uh, last week I brought to your attention Ezekiel, the 33rd chapter of uh, the Lord saying to Ezekiel, hey, listen, if you're a watchman, which you are, and if there's danger coming and you blow the trumpet, two reactions can happen. You blow the trumpet, people heed the warning. They'll probably be safe. People don't heed the warning, they get hurt. The onus is on them. You're the watchman, You don't blow the trumpet. You don't warn the people. And so they get hurt. The onus is on the watchman. Okay? So, but in either case, it is clear that the people that, one, don't heed the warning, and the people that were not warned, in both cases, they still got hurt. So if you don't want to get hurt, you got to do a little bit of your own investigating as well. Yes? So, um, anyways... I've always done a lot on my own investigating. I trusted the preacher who was preaching, but I want to find out for myself if what he said was true and right. And so I went to the scriptures to check it out, not just to check him out, but I wanted to also know what is it saying and what context is it. So that caused me to learn a lot. I'm not at any place to have learned a lot, but it taught me, to, it taught me a lot to go the scriptures, and so I'm at a place where I'm not know a lot, but I know a lot more than I would have known otherwise. So the title of today's sermon is God Holy Sanctify You. So holy as in W-H-O-L-L-Y. That he will satisfy, uh, sanctify you completely through and through. So, uh, but let me, let us preview just a little bit from what we talked about in Second Peter, and then we use that sort of like a, as a springboard to, to move ahead. Um, so it is my sway in that God would sanctify you, that you would let the Holy Spirit of God have His complete and absolute sway over you. 
so that he might sanctify you, sanctify you holy. He wants to sanctify you holy, but he wants your cooperation in that you would yield yourself to him and do such as that he's asking you to do. Um, and so there is a way of hindering the sanctification by being disobedient. And then consequently, you don't reap the benefit of, uh, of that sanctification he has for you to live the life here on earth in a victorious sort of a way. And that is, that's huge because we saw that God has that for us, that God has a life of overflow for us, a life of abundance for us. That is not only in our personal lives, but it's in our relationships, in our families, in our marriages, you name it. This is what God has. When he says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church, he is not just... See, typically in the Christian world, we think that God gives us scriptures so that husband and wife can get along. Oh, that's the minimum. But we're not even always living up to the minimum. What God wants is he wants a testimony, a witness on the face of the earth as to how a husband is walking with his wife so that people take note. Whoa! That sort of looks like Jesus and the church. Look at the way this husband loves his wife. It is in such a conspicuously uh, spiritual way that people can't help but take notice. They may not buy into your message, but they take note. Because it is so rare. A life of overflow. He says, those who believe on me, as the scriptures have said, out of their belly shall flow rivers of living water. Does that sound like overflow? That sounds like overflow to me. A river coming out of your belly. How many people can get their cups filled with that river to overflowing so that they can fill other people's cups to overflowing? Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. I am come that you might have life and might have it more abundantly. Sometimes they just say, sometimes they just say abundantly. So he's speaking that about abundant life. Some people say, well, maybe he speaks about more abundant life. Let's not go too high. Let's just go with abundant life. Then I challenge people, whatever your definition is of abundant life, we're not going to argue with that. Your definition is as good as anybody else's definition. But according to your definition, can you make a list of 10 Christians that you know that you would say, according to your definition, they live the abundant life? And the second part of the question, are you on that list? And I find that most people that I challenged, they, they cannot come up with a list of 10. And... They are not on that list. So, my dear brothers and sisters, <laughs> you will agree with me, I hope, there is something wrong with that picture. Yes? Right. Totally wrong with that picture. When he has abundant life for us, and we're missing out, he is not telling a fib. He is not doing a Pinocchio. <laughs> I like that expression. I thought I'd just throw it in there. <laughs> you know? He is not doing a Pinocchio. 
we are missing out somehow. And I, for one, want to bring the correction among Christian folks that they might have abundant life. I'm not talking abundant as in materially. That is fine. To me, the material stuff is neutral. Amen. The people that have a lot, the scriptures are asking them to do certain things with the, the lot that they have. The people that have a little, they need to get some from what the people that have from a, that a lot on a loving basis. Amen. But it speaks about on a, a spiritual power, a spiritual power that, that brings love, that brings joy, that brings kindness, that brings relationship, that brings health in marriages, that brings health in families, health in churches. So anyways, enough of that. So we'll, we'll go back and, and look a little bit at, at uh, Second Peter. And we are looking at the false teachers real quickly, real brief, briefly. Somebody said, amen. Okay, that's all right. Um, I, I don't want to park that too long. But I just want to say that there's some of the characteristics that Peter brings out in the second chapter concerning false teachers. And I will continue to warn about false teachers and about these false things that go on over there. Uh, false teachers, I, um, I you could say, say this, is, this is not a Christian thing, but it is a Christian thing. Uh, I told you last week about uh, a guru, a guru that was paid lots of money over two years by successful businessmen. He was going to teach them to fly. And after two years, did they fly? They didn't fly after two years. I could have told them that from the beginning. Saved them a lot of money. I wondered. Successful businessman. How do you buy into such a thing? And you haven't even verified if this guru could fly himself. <laughs> Can you fly yourself? No, but I'll teach you. Oh, no, I'm out. <laughs> so, when you hear stories like that, I think, wow, a lot of people that you would not expect can be swayed. Okay, I'm going back to the characteristics of false teachers. Um, he talks about destructive heresies. Uh, 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 Mike and James says, damnable heresies. Uh, they will deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Big, 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 huge red flag. That's, that red flag is the only red flag that you need to run. Through their greed, they will go after your money with fancy words. Later on, we find out that they were also involved in gross immorality, plus a bunch of other things. Then we learned about the punishment of false teachers, that uh, their judgment is on the way. Their judgment is not asleep somewhere in the corner. It's on the way. Uh, and they will not escape it. Their only escape, do they have an escape? They will not escape it, but there is an escape. Jesus Christ is their escape. If they would just come to Jesus, because the Lord says he doesn't want that, his long-suffering doesn't want anybody to, to, to perish, but that all might repent and come to knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that, that is why the punishment is on the way, 
but he doesn't rush it because he is long-suffering and wants to give people as much chance as possible to come to Jesus. To come to Jesus. Okay. Uh, Then he says, well, if they don't come to Jesus, they won't escape it. The fallen angels didn't escape it. The people in Noah's time didn't escape it. Sodom and Gomorrah didn't escape it. The false teachers won't escape it. The only way out is Jesus Christ. So, let us then look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we need to be aware of a few things. One, he is comparing unbelievers to believers. And often he uses the little word, but, B-U-T, for you to be aware that there is a contrast coming. Yes? That's pretty, pretty normal. Uh, and, and he uses um, the word, my brethren, uh, meaning the, the collective word for brothers and sisters, my brethren. For the most part, in the scriptures, when they say my brethren, they mean the brothers and the sisters, uh, not just the brothers. Uh, you know that already, but I thought I'd clarify just a little bit anyways. And then, uh, what else do you need to pay attention to? Anyways, we'll, we'll start going. We'll start going over here. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Would you do verse 2 there also? So he's talking to the brethren there. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Yes? So who's he speaking to here? To the brethren. He's always speaking to the brethren in this scenario. But sometimes he speaks to the brethren about the brethren. And sometimes he's speaking to the brethren about unbelievers. Yes? Yeah, it's sort of like I'm, me speaking with Paul, and I speak with Paul as a believer, and then we're speaking together about concerning unbelievers. But we're speaking as brothers about the situation, how, what needs to be done or whatever to have, be more successful in witnessing or loving them or uh, serving them or be part of the community or whatever the situation might be. Uh, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Verse 3. For when they say, now it is about somebody else. They. Now he's speaking about a different group of people. First the brothers and sisters. Now he talks about they. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. He's talking here about unbelievers. That there comes a time as a thief in the night. Boom. The Lord's return. And... There's a lot of unpleasant things happening, to say the least. And there's no escape. The only escape, once again, is, but then it's too late. The only escape is through Jesus Christ. And we'll we'll find out about that. And we have found about that a a lot already. So, uh, and then verse 4 says this. But you, brethren, now he's talking specifically to the brethren again, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake as a thief. Okay, so this is the point that he's making over here. The day of the Lord will still come as a thief in the night. We don't know the exact time when he's coming. We sort of know the seasons. But even the seasons are difficult to know because they seem to be so long. Right? Uh, So, but what he's saying is, though he'll come like a thief in the night, as believers... 
we will not be surprised because we should be ready. Amen. That's all he's saying. He's not saying that we know the time when he's coming, and so therefore, hey, we're, ch- we're chilling, we're good. Uh, we don't know the time. He will still come as a thief in the night, but for us, we won't be, be overtaken by surprise because we are ready. My dear brothers and sisters, remember to be ready. Later on in this chapter, he's talking a little bit about some of the things that get us ready. So we won't be surprised. Verse 5. I'm going a little fast because, once again, I, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. And we are not of the night nor of darkness. Obviously, we are sons of the light. We know that very well. Uh, and, and not of the darkness. That has a lot of ripple effect. One, that things are in the light and that things should be in the light when we're dealing with one another. We are sons of the light. So there shouldn't be things that we do in the darkness, uh, things that we keep in the darkness of people. For example, we, we have a budget for the church. It is there behind the glass for everybody to see. Members, non-members, believers, unbelievers, everybody can see because we're people of the light. I want the church to show what is going on in this place. All the way. Now, this is not true in every church. It is not that they want to keep a secret from you. It is that they, some people get a little bit carried away with knowing too much. Is that true, some man? Some people, it is possible that they, that they know too much. And they want to talk all the time. They want more information, blah, 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 blah. And people don't have time for all that. So it is not meant in a bad light. <laughs> but <laughs> nevertheless, I believe that we should be in the light. And so never. Now, John and I might talk about an issue that we want to bring before the church. But we, he and I are going to talk about it first. So to, 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 to iron out all the little wrinkles and stuff like that. But it's not because we want to keep it a secret. It's because we just want to talk. And when it concerns the church, then we bring it to the church. And now it's all, all in the open for everybody. Now when it comes to personal matters, then he's not keeping it in the, in, in the darkness. But he's not sharing it with the whole church necessarily. Are you with me? Okay. Not everybody feels free to share all their personal stuff with everybody. And that is, that is wise. Uh, some trusted people you share with, but it's not in the darkness. Verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Therefore, let us not sleep. In other words, he's not saying, hey, you need to be awake 24 hours a day. Don't sleep. I said that to our son. We lived on the west side of town, and I worked on the south side of town, and our church was on the south side of town. So after work on Wednesday night, I didn't go back to the west side of town. I went to church there, and then after church, we went home. And we had a young son. He was two or three years old, and he didn't sleep through the night. So if he would sleep on the, the ride from the church to the house, he sure wouldn't go to sleep the rest of the night. So I say, Nate, stay awake, buddy. Stay awake. Stay awake, Nate. Stay awake. He goes, I'm trying, Dad. I'm trying, Dad. So, so 
I'm not saying don't go to sleep. <laughs> don't be asleep. Don't be asleep concerning the things of the Lord. Amen. Be awake. Be sober. Be sharp. Be ready. Amen. Don't be like the sleepy people or the drunkards. Verse 7. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, are drunk at night. Verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So uh, let us be ready. Part of what makes us ready is to put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope of, of, the hope of salvation. So this is always part of what we do. Hope, faith, and love. It's always part of what we do. This is the protection that we have. Not only the protection that we have, but this is also the weaponry that we have. When we fight, we fight with these kind of weapons. Amen. We don't fight with worldly weapons. We won't fight with fleshly weapons. Right. Fleshly weapons have fleshly results. Spiritual weapons have spiritual results. We fight with the weapons of the kingdom of God to get kingdom results. Amen. So that no matter what Joe would say to me, he would never say anything ugly to me. This is totally hypothetical, my, my brother. Don't, don't, don't be offended. No matter what Joe would say to me in an ugly way, if I'm going to help expand the kingdom of God, I'm going to deal with him in spiritual kingdom weapons to try to overcome the fleshly stuff that he threw at me. Sorry, I should have given the example with me throwing fleshly stuff at you. I'm sorry, my fault, my fault. Uh, verse 9. So I'm not going in a lot of detail because I, I want to get to another place. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here is where it comes back in there. Salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is all about the Son. With the Father, it is about the Son. With the Holy Spirit, it is about the Son. And with us, it should be about the Son. And so, no wonder that those who deny the Son of God will have punishment coming. That's just the way it is. Sorry. But you said, I didn't say, punishment coming. I tried to be a little softer. I said, punishment coming. Punishment coming. But nevertheless, it's very real. I told a brother not too long ago who had confessed some things and I lowered my voice to him and I say, brother, don't confuse my low voice and my low volume with the amount of disappointment in me concerning this. No guilt trip, no shame. I just want you to know that I wasn't expecting this. So now, where do we go from here? Forgiven, let's go. Where do we go from here? But just because I said, they won't escape the punishment, doesn't mean that the punishment is not real. Yes. But, you see, there's a, a, an important word over here, besides the word salvation and the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, that for God did not appoint us to wrath. This is not... This is a mistake that many people make often is that when in Hebrews 12 chapter it talks about discipline, then even the word discipline is misinterpreted or misapplied in many ways. 
But first of all, many people take that as punishment. Punishment is a whole different thing. We are not, uh, God did not appoint us to wrath. The wrath Jesus bore on the cross 2,000 years ago. So we don't get punished anymore, but we get disciplined. What is the difference between punishment and discipline? Punishment is to satisfy justice. Discipline is for maturity's sake. Furthermore, discipline is not just when you have stepped out of line to get back in line. As a coach, I know, and I've said this before, but I want you to know it again, because when I hear people speak out there, discipline is always related to somebody making mistakes or somebody doing something wrong. But that is not always the case. As a coach, I know, hey, you're late, give me 20. That is discipline because he did something wrong. Hey, you're doing great, give me 20. Because I want them to be stronger. I want them to fulfill their potential. I don't want them to be easily injured. I want them to go the whole route, the whole road, the the whole way without getting tired, without getting weak, without getting injured readily. If you're out of shape, you get injured readily. So I want them to be in shape. Give me 20, give me 30, give me 40, give me 50, whatever it may be. There's more to it than that, but you follow what I'm saying. So... Discipline is not always because you did something wrong. Discipline might be because you did something right. And God wants to get more out of you. Okay. Uh, Verse 10. Where are we? Okay, we're looking good. Who died for us. That whether we wake, are awake or asleep, we should live together. So this wake and asleep, that has a different connotation because it has to do with whether we are alive or whether we are dead. We are going to live eternally with him, together with Jesus Christ. Uh, that is us, the believers, who died for us. Now, he died for everybody, but not everybody is believing. Not everybody is taking him up on it. Yes. Verse 11. Therefore, comfort each other. And edify one another just as also you are doing. So, here's where I like to just spend a little bit of time that comfort each other. The word really means here a form of encouragement. There's different kinds of encouragement. But when we talk about encouragement, we typically mean to make my brother feel good. Brother, let me encourage him. But that is not necessarily so. It might be so. Maybe he needs a few hugs and whatever, and uh, uh, some nice words. But it is not so much about that because the encouragement has to do with doing the things that you need to be doing. Are you following what I'm saying? So I would say it like for to a husband. Um, Brother, I noticed that you were harsh with your wife. I want to encourage you to go home and treat her gently, tenderly, kindly. Encourage you. So I don't want to just say, brother, I noticed that you treat your wife 
harshly and no, I want to encourage him to do what he's supposed to be doing. Loving his wife. So, sometimes you need encouragement. Hey, come to church. Sometimes you need encouragement. Hey, uh, uh, God has given you gifts. Use those gifts. I heard some amens. All right. I, I want to take note who they are because that way I can. Oh, you said amen. Okay, so you can do it, okay? Uh, so, uh, so that is part of the encouragement over here. To encourage. So in these end times that, that uh, Paul is talking about, for us to be victorious because are things going to get better or worse in the end times? Worse. worse. All over the place. So there's many brothers that might be swayed a little bit that you come alongside and say, hey, listen, uh, do it God's way, brother, uh, uh, lest you just fumble and stumble. So, and you have to say that often to people, yes? And people can say that often to me. Hopefully not too often, because hopefully I'm not out of step so often. But if I'm out of step, people should say that. I expect a brother to be able to say that to me. Yes? Amen. Yes, that's what the body of Christ is for. Right. So that we can all do better. Edify one another. Now here is more the idea of building each other up. But it is always not in the flesh, but it's always in the Lord. So that is a different scenario than building somebody up in the flesh. Okay? The things that build up people in the flesh are often uh, frowned upon in the spirit. In the flesh, it seems all right to flatter people. In the spirit, flattering is not a good thing. In the, in, the, in the flesh, it is always, people are always uh, encouraging other people to be assertive. Assertive. It is actually more than assertive. If need be, assertive enough to be a little bit obnoxious. In the spirit, that is, that is a no-no. It's about kindness. It's about humility. So, okay, so the edification is always in the Lord. Just as you're doing. Verse 12. And we urge you, we beseech you, brethren, to, the brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and as, admonish you. Ah, we can skip that one. Verse 13. <laughs> and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be, uh, I read it again. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Forget it. But be at peace among yourselves. And here is where I, I want to edify you. That in this place, there is so much peace among us. There is so much peace among us. No unrest. No striving. No power plays. No ego trips. I love that as a pastor. Because some of the, some of the obstacles in so many places is because people have ego trips. So, they, I know they don't want to hear it, but I'm going to say it anyways. 
I love my deacons. They, they walk like elders, and to me they are elders, as well as deacons. But they are wise, they are supportive in every way, in every way. I've been here for 14 years, not once have they been against something that was right. Just because they want to have a power play or an ego trip or whatever. I love it. And so it makes pastoring not only because of the leadership, but because of you so much joy and so much fun. I think I have the best church in the place. When I hear other pastors talk, I go, ooh. I don't rejoice because things are going bad. I rejoice because it makes our church look better all the time. Oh, yeah, look at my church. Anyways, 14. Then at 14, we will start a, a whole set of uh, encouragements, admonitions uh, to, to live a godly life. To, give, to live a life that may, facilitates uh, a God holy sanctifying us. Now we exhort you, we beseech you, we encourage you, brethren. Warn those who are unruly. So, uh, apparently in the fellowship, and it might be in the future, that maybe there are some unruly people that, that are in the church. This has happened Twice since I've been here for 14 years. That there were a couple of unruly people. And then I warned them. And I wanted them to stay. Because we want to disciple them. But they chose to leave. Perfectly fine. So they can de- somebody else can deal with them. Uh, but so I warned them. No, you can't talk like this in this church. No, you have to turn down your volume when you talk to a sister. You have to turn down the intensity when you talk to a sister. Those veins in your neck, I don't want to see them when you talk to a sister. Okay? Turn it down, brother. Turn it down. And I wanted them to stay. But, but they didn't. Uh, so, my, my brothers and sisters, let me just tag along with this just a little bit more in saying this. For me to call you brother or sister is a privilege that was bestowed upon me through the death of Jesus on the cross. He shed his blood for the privilege of me to call you sister. And I cannot talk to my sister Kara just any way I please. No, it is unacceptable. I can't talk to my wife any way I please. As I need to speak to her as a brother. I need to speak as my, to my brother Doyle as a brother. I can't speak to him any way my flesh dictates. Can't do it. So that's where I'm com- coming from. So, so the side point. Uh, comfort the faint-hearted. Uh, uh, the same word uh, is also used as uh, uh, encourage the faint-hearted. Um, there are people that at the end times are going to be, and even now, they're going to be faint-hearted. They are going to be 
somebody says feeble-minded. That is not the best translation. Faint-hearted. Their heart is faint within them. As they are fixing to lose heart, if you will. It is faint in them. They have a hard time standing up for Jesus. Hey, encourage that brother. Encourage that sister. Okay? Uh, Faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Are there weak ones among us? When I think about uh, uphold the weak, uh, Sybil, my wife, has a back issue. She hasn't had a, 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 how you call it, a, an episode in, in years, thank God. But uh, years ago, she had an episode, and I remember when you have an episode, she couldn't even walk to go to the bathroom. So I would have to support her under her armpits over here and, 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 and walk her. Okay? So this is the picture that I get to uphold the weak. Sometimes we need to walk with a brother or a sister and uphold them. Uphold them so that they can walk and be encouraged and gain strength so that they can walk on their own. Be patient with all. Patient people. Long-suffering people. Patient people means that you are not easily... uh, You are not easily pushed into impatience. So, is your patience going to be tested? This means yes. Of course your patience is going to be tested. Your love is going to be tested. Your joy is going to be tested. Everything is going to be tested. And my dear brothers and sisters, if it doesn't show up, I have a question for you. Is it there? Because when it is called upon, it ought to show up. And that's what Paul is saying over here. When your patience is called upon, let it show up with all the people. Was that a bad word? Uh, Fifteen. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. See that no one does the thing of evil to evil. Uh, jumps, just jumped jump, jump in my head. The last verse in Romans, the 12th chapter. How many verses are that? 21. The last verse in Romans, the 12th chapter says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome. So, Paul is saying there, there is a chance that you might be overcome by evil. How, do you, how are you overcome by evil if you respond in an evil way? You're overcome by evil. But he says there's a way for you to overcome that evil by doing good. Overcome evil with good. So uh, do, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, there we go. That is uh, uh, 1221. We go back to, uh, thank you, to Thessalo- Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. And um, what time we have here? Am I right? Is it just 11 o'clock? Yes. <laughs> 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 Woo! I got time, baby. I got time. <laughs> no, what time is it?
is it, is it, uh, is it a little bit before 12? Okay, okay, thank you. So we, we, we're on our way. Rejoice always. This is, this is what we have talked about uh, quite a bit. Rejoice always. Don't, I was going to say, I'll say it again, but then I'll correct myself. Don't let people steal your joy. They can steal your joy because it is from the Holy Spirit, okay? So, but don't let them stunt your joy, if you will. Don't let them act in, no, don't let them act in a way that makes you less joyful or less expression of joy. Rejoice. Now, you might say, well, joy means it's a state, a spiritual state, and I don't have to express it. Okay, I'll buy it. When you express it, it's more like happy. Okay, okay, you win the argument. But when you rejoice, same root. I think I'll notice it that you rejoice or not. Right? Do, 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 do you think so? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you an example. I'm rejoicing today. At my church, we rejoice like this. Would you come to my church? Okay. So when you rejoice, people will know. It. He's saying, rejoice, rejoice. Be a person who readily rejoices. You're not perturbed by too many things that will, that will stunt your joy. You are a joyful person. My philosophy is, who do you think you are that you are going to be able to steal my joy? You can't. I'm sorry. You can try if you want to. I challenge you. I mean, you know, that's not a mean thing or a bad thing. You, you, you can't steal my joy. I'm sorry. Who, who do you think that you are that you can take away a gift or, or, or a fruit that the Holy Spirit has given me? Amen. Excuse me. Rejoice. Next one. Yes. No, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. So, uh, pursue what is good. Uh, that has sort of the same idea. Uh, uh, so, pursue the things that are good. Uh, and Romans 12, chapter, once again says, cling to what is good. Cling to what is good. Pursue those things. Hold on to it. S 16 says, rejoice. And then we go on from there. 17, pray without ceasing. Amen. All right. Um, I always thought that this, hey, Paul, what are you talking about? Pray without ceasing. Of course I cease. When I go to sleep, I cease. These days I, I pray a lot more in the middle of the night. Uh, you know, I'm older, so I don't sleep that many hours. And then I wake up and I pray. And then sometimes the Lord allows me to go back to sleep after a while. Or sometimes not. Then I get up and I go study. Uh, there's things to be done. Amen. Besides laying in bed and not sleeping. Um, but I always took issue with Paul saying, Pray without ceasing. Then my children got the driver's license. <laughs> I understood what Paul was saying. Thank you, Paul. Pray without ceasing. And we go on. And everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Okay. Now, read it carefully because I've looked at several translations to see what it was saying because I want to make sure 
that Paul was saying, in everything give, th give thanks. He is not saying, for everything give thanks. But give thanks in everything. Now, you might argue the, the point and say, you should give thanks also for everything. You win the argument, okay? But, but here it's saying, in everything give thanks. So, in other words, you should be a thankful person regardless. You should be a thankful person. Are you a thankful person? I tell you what my situation was. I felt like I was a thankful person. And then God took us through about 20 years of having very little. Very little. At some point, not even one dollar. Was that fun? Not that much fun. But I went to search the scriptures, and I realized that God was doing something for me, not against me. Not something to me, but for me. He was developing me as a son. And one of the things that came out of it, among many things, is that I learned to appreciate the small things. When we didn't have a dollar, we couldn't go to Baskin Robbins. Now I can go to Baskin Robbins. <laughs> Cherry Jubilee. Woo! <laughs> I can't go to, uh, what's the stone place? The, huh? Mar oh, you know it. Marble Slap. And your favorite. My favorite. Marble Slap. I can go. It's expensive. But now I don't go too often. But, you know, I want to watch my sugar as well. But, uh, oh, it's good. Oh, it's good. Uh, but then, no way. Marble slab. I haven't heard of that place. I don't go in that neighborhood <laughs> to those stores. I go to dollar store. Nothing wrong with dollar store, by the way. But you don't find mar uh, 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 marble slab at dollar store. Anyways. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. This is the will of God. That we should give thanks in everything. Be thankful, people. Uh, we're going. We're going. We're looking pretty good. 19 says this. Uh, do not quench the Spirit of God. Do not quench the Spirit of God. How do we quench the Spirit of God? I, 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 I'll just say it this way. We are unhospitable to the Spirit of God. We are... Uh, we are pushing him and squeezing him uh, into a corner. Yes, we say that he's welcome. But he's sort of welcome like our in-laws. My in-laws are very welcome. I, I've, I've, spent, I've known my father-in-law more than my own father now because I, I lived in America. Uh, so, but so many people, you know, the in-laws can go only so far. Then not any further. They cannot go to some, some corners they cannot go into. They're not welcome over there. That's what we do with the Holy Spirit often. We quench him. He can only stay here. And no more. But he needs to be welcome in all of us. So that he can wholly sanctify us. Holy sanctify us. All of us. Holy sanctify us. Verse 20. There's more to it than that, but don't despise prophecies. And 21 says this, or the second part of 20 or whatever, test all things, hold fast to what is good. So he says, 
uh, these prophecies that people say, you know, this morning even I heard somebody says, uh, somebody said that they were a prophet. Um, mm. Sometimes people that say a lot of things of what they are, I take with a grain of salt. Just because it says on somebody's office door something, or they wear a little badge over here that says something, that is their position that they have. But it's not necessarily what they really are. When somebody goes around, apostle, prophet, hey, then he says, test all things. Test and see if they are. Don't because somebody says they're a prophet. The longer the, the louder they scream that they're prophets, the less I believe them. Um, uh, let, let them let's, let's test it. Let's see if they are truly prophets or not. In the Old Testament, if what they prophesied didn't come true, they were stoned to death. We, we, we don't do that anymore here, but I'm just telling you. Uh, that, that was one of the, the deals. Uh, 22. We're going, we're going. We abstain from every form of evil. This is a biggie. Every form of evil. Every form of evil. Abstain from. So if it, if it gives an appearance, uh, 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 another translation actually says, Appearance of evil. This is the King James. Who says that? King, King James. There we go. Appearance. So, appearance of evil. There is something about an appearance. You don't want to appear that you're doing something wrong. You want to guard against that. Sometimes you can't, simply can't help it. Okay? But if you can, then you need to do something about it. Don't appear to be doing things wrong. Um... I'm just give you a simple, uh, silly example. If you go into somebody else's office and you have permission to go in their office, don't close the door behind you. That is, that is, uh, uh, gives a certain appearance. Keep the door wide open and get out of there as soon as you can. Uh, if there is, if you're alone in a building and one of the sisters comes in because she has some work to do over there, be careful. Go to the other building or hey, go get some lunch or something, because there is an appearance there. If you're alone with a female in a building. That that is not all that good. There's an appearance to that. Yes? You understand what I'm trying to say? Maybe there were bad examples. You're right. But, but okay. Uh, 23. Now may God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Holy sanctify you. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. May he sanctify you in such a way that everything about you looks honky-dory. Your thinking is right. You have taken care of your body best you could. Now, just because you take care of your body doesn't mean it is going to be in great shape. We have bodies that deteriorate, right? That's part of what happens. I got old. I, I don't see as well. I don't chew as well. I don't run as well. I don't walk as well, I don't sleep as well, whatever. So there is, but, but nevertheless, God has given us this temple of the Holy Spirit. 
take care of his temple. Brothers and sisters, hey, I, I, I see Jeannie. Jeannie is giving us a great example over here. She has taken care, and, and can, can I ask how many of us? Can we make the number? Just in 17? She has lost 70 pounds. My brothers and sisters, if you're going to lose 70 pounds, it's not just because it, it just dropped off of you. It can happen sometimes, maybe through a sickness or whatever. But she worked at that. So she inspired others to do the same. She inspired me. Okay, I don't feel like I'm, you know, if I lose 70 pounds, I'll be, I'll be wasted. But I like to lose 17. Because my belt is one hole bigger. I like to have the, the other hole. Okay? Yeah, hold on. Remember your thought for just a second. Uh, okay, 24. Wait, what's it about this? Say it. Yes. 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 So there's 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 things in place. There's things in place. And that's important. Yeah. Of course. And that's that's the way that's the way it ought to be. He who calls, he who calls is faithful. Who also will do it. If we just yield to him. He will do it. He will wholly sanctify us. What that means is that he will make us more like Jesus Christ. And bottom lining it. He will make us, he himself will make us more like Jesus Christ. He is faithful to do it. He will do it. And then 25, I think is our last one. Brethren, pray for us. I'm glad to see that Paul also asked for prayer. And I'll say to you, pray for me. Not because I thought that maybe I didn't need prayer. I am more aware than anybody else that I need prayer. Kiss. I love you to pieces. Let us stand.